You're now tuning into the Barely Hibernating Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network, featuring Bear Report's own Usaid Kosho and fan-sided Sam Stevenson and AJ Desai. Here are your hosts. So you get the win over the Vikings, all of a sudden you're in the playoff. Jalen Hurts and the Eagles did nothing to help the Bears yesterday. Sam's headphones stopped working, so he has to use a different pair of headphones. AJ literally just ran into the house. All right, I had to wake up super early on a Monday morning. We're actually recording this on a Monday instead of a Tuesday, guys, but we're going to drop it on a Wednesday. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. Did I miss anything, gents, or uh, how are we doing today? No, I think you covered all bases there. All right, awesome. And anyways, guys, welcome into the Barely Hibernating Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. You know us. I'm Usaid Koshal, your host. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Usaid Koshal. I've got my left-hand man and my right-hand man, Sam Stevenson and AJ Desai in the house. You can follow them on Twitter at SJSteve9 and at AJ Desai4. What's up, fellas? Who's your right-hand man and who's your left-hand man? That's a good you need to establish that. <laughs> yeah, I probably do. I don't know. We'll have to flip a coin, dude, uh, before next week's podcast and get that figured out. That's fair. I will respect the, the results of the coin flip. There's two hands to this, left or right side. I don't care what side I am. As long as I'm on one side, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, that's the perfect way to put it, dude. But yeah, anyways, guys, let's get right into it. Okay, so the Bears beat the Vikings 33-27. to It was a six-point win. I know some people are going to be like, oh, well, it was against a bad defense. But you look at it, guys, as I pull up my advanced stats on NFL GSIS. I mean, listen, the Bears had 10 possessions. And I think they scored on like five straight at one point. AJ, I'll go to you first. Kind of what were some of your thoughts as we get into our game recap here? Man, I was... That was pretty cool to see, man. That, that touchdown to Darno Mooney to start things off off the back foot, you know, like historically passes off the back foot doesn't don't really like work out as well. But like you know, Mitch put a little too much air on that, and uh, Darno Mooney came down with it. So that was pretty good. Um, David Montgomery, workhorse. I mean, uh, you know, he's got to get the ball thirty plus times. I mean, I, I know fans want to do it like 25 times or something like that. But like, you know, 30 plus is like what a running back needs per game in today's NFL. And um, Matt Nagy failed to do that for the first 10 weeks of the season, which figures why are we even seven and seven right now? Like we should have a better record right now, because if we made these changes earlier in the season, like you said, and I were saying back in back in October when the offensive line was weak, um, then we could have probably seen a major difference in the season, but like, Pass is gone. You know, we beat the Vikings. I feel good right now. I mean, we got the Jacksonville Jaguars next. I mean, barring an upset, a huge upset, I would say, and they would be they would be losing the number one pick in that whole scenario. Um, I don't see us losing this game next week. And then we're set up for week 17 to go into the playoffs if we win that game. We need some help, too, from the Rams beating the Cardinals, too. So, pretty cool. Pretty excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I mean, just as the game itself, it was a really fun game to watch um, as a Bears fan. I mean, with the expectation now of the Bears potentially being able to score 30 a week, like that's exciting to think about um, that the offense can put up that much in a game after watching us put up 13, 19, 11. Just watching a competent offense has been really fun. And, and again, I understand these defenses haven't been as great as the defenses Foles had to play against, but Regardless of that, like you're winning football games because your offense, you know, Bill Lazor's calling good games right now. He's playing to Mitch's strengths. Like 
that was an enjoyable experience to watch a Bears offense win us a football game uh, for once. And, you know, I hope that this is something we can consistently build on these last two weeks. And hopefully with the playoffs, maybe if the Bears get in, like it would be nice to see the Bears offense cause some noise and cause some chaos in the playoffs. But just from like the short end of things, like Sunday's game was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I the, the thing is, my initial thoughts were, like you said, Sam, you know, and you as well, AJ. I mean, we finally have like a competent offense. We're not having to rely on the defense to get out there and have like four or five sacks and set the offense up with short field position and then create, you know, one or two turnovers in the process as well to even give the offense a chance. Because I feel like that right there was a lot of the theme of the 2018 season where it was like defense just setting the offense up in so many key situations. And the defense did that so much at the start of the season too, but the offense was just unable to capitalize. And that was regardless of whether Trubisky's at the home or Foles was at the home. The silver lining, I want to say though, in starting Nick Foles for six to seven weeks was that we saw what a lot of the issues were, right? Whereas with Mitch, like we probably would have stuck with Richard Coward and we would have scored some points, but everyone would have been like, oh, the O-line is at least decent. You know, it's getting the job done. Now you have guys like Sam Mustafa, uh, Alex Bars as well, who's just playing at such a high level. And now the advantage, the Nick Foles injury was the best thing to happen to the Bears in 2020 because he breaks his back on Monday night. He's never starting again for this team, right? Unless they move on from Mitch and draft a rookie quarterback in 2021, which is a discussion we'll be having like in five to six weeks once the season's officially over. But the point is, right, is the fact that, like, we're winning games with Mitch Trubisky. Where with Trubisky, I mean, you still have the segment of Bears Twitter that is like, well, he's a terrible quarterback. Look, he didn't play good enough to completely take over and win the game for us, but he didn't play bad enough for us to lose either. So the middle ground right there is just that he's managing the game essentially is what it is, right? And you're seeing the guys, the rest of the talent around him completely benefit as well. So this is something that you look at and you're like, maybe the Bears have found a winning formula, right? And maybe the best thing to do, because they're not going to be picking high enough for a quarterback at this point, unless you guys want to draft Trey Lance, which is another separate thing, but they're not picking high enough for Fields or Wilson or Lance because of the last couple of games that they've won. And unless you want to trade the farm, I think the best thing to do would be to just run it back with Mitch in 2021 on a one-year deal. My my only concern with that, and, and AJ, then I'll, I'll sorry, I'll let you go after this, but I, I'm happy Mitch is playing well. I said last week he wasn't going to be a Bear, and I'm sure a lot of Bears fans are now going to probably disagree with me. Um, I do understand the thought of bringing Mitch back because, again, you might not even have an option outside of Mitch next year. My only concern is, is one, if you franchise tag him, do you have enough, do you have the situation where you can bring Allen Robinson back, right? Because you didn't extend Allen Robinson early enough that now you're in a situation where if franchise Matt tech, excuse me, franchise tagging Mitch going to be the end of Allen Robinson as a bear. I have no idea. You only have 34 guys under contract next year, right? If pace comes back next year and is the GM, he has to find a way to create cap space. And right now, the only realistic move that I see happening is cutting Buster's screen, which saves like $3 million in cap space or something like that. Like, it's not a huge move. I, I am still under the impression that Mitch will go somewhere else and sign for more money because I see all these people on Bears Twitter. And, and look, Mitch fans, like Mitch truthers, there's definitely some, some things that you have said that have been right. Good for you guys. But these whole like idea where it's like, oh, just sign Mitch to like a two-year, $10 million deal or sign him to a one-year prove-it deal. NFL doesn't work like that. It's business. Mitch Trubisky is 
going to get paid more than he probably deserves. The, the quarterback franchise tag is $26 million. Mitch would have made $24 million if we picked up his fifth-year deal. So if you franchise tag him to keep him in 2021 for one more year, whatever the future that is, you're actually paying him more than you would have paid him if you had kept the fifth-year option, which, again, declining his fifth-year option was the right call. So obviously I'm still not totally in on Mitch until we win a meaningful game, and that meaningful game is in Week 17. If Mitch beats the Packers, whether they have Aaron Rodgers or not, and we make the playoffs, then I'll start believing in the bringing Mitch back in 2021. But right now, I still don't think he's coming back next year. Yeah, his agent's gonna his agent's gonna really talk to other teams and just be like, "Can you offer more than the Chicago Bears?" I mean, he's going to have like right now he's playing at a level where teams can like mold him into like a somewhat of a game manager, but by like just like giving more than what the franchise tag is to him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, easily some team can just sign him for a two-year, $50 million deal. And if I was Mitch Trubisky, I'd be like, all right, Chicago, it's time to sell my house and it's time to move on. Because that's something that I'd want to do. Because, I mean, like, I, not, not me, but that's something that, like, Mitch would want to do for the sake of his career, too. Um, for, to improve his career and for the well-being of his career. So, I mean, like, I don't see him in Chicago next year. I mean, regardless of how he plays, guys – like we don't even know if Pace or Nagy is going to are, are going to be here next year. Like maybe, maybe they might've saved themselves, but maybe, maybe they're thinking about going a different direction in this, a whole different way in 2021. Maybe. Yeah. And I'll add on to what you guys said, right. It's, it's tough to like, I, I seriously believe this. I think that if Pace is here in 2021, then you're, he's keeping his guy Nagy around too. And he's probably going to keep Mitch around as well. I mean, but obviously, we're not going to discuss scenarios here of like, should they bring Pace back, fire Pace, bring Nagy back, etc. Because we kind of hinted at that over the last couple of weeks on this podcast, right? But the thing is, it's just like my whole thought process is it's just like, let's just say Pace and Nagy are back in 2021. Like, why the hell would Mitch want to come back, especially considering the comments he made early last week where, oh, yeah, they're finally listening to what I have to say about the offense. Like, why would he want to basically tie his hip to Nagy for like another year or two? So the Bears have really mishandled this entire situation because you could have, you know, you should have never benched Mitch in week three at the halftime or like in the third quarter of a game, you know, where he wasn't playing like entirely terrible, but he wasn't the reason that they were down like 26 to seven either or something. You know, my point is, is that like, why would even if there is a lucrative offer on the table sometimes for players and teams it's just better that both sides move on and this is a situation that we're in right now it's just going to be better for like Mitch to move on and to go to a team that is going to cater to his strengths from day one that does have the necessary and surrounding talent beyond just the number one receiver and a capable running back that is going to put him in a position to succeed because that's ultimately what it's about. It's just like people in this league think it's all the time of it's the players, it's the players, it's the players. It's like, no, it's the coaching too. Good coaching puts the best players in a position to succeed. Andy Reid calls plays that are going to ensure that Pat Mahomes succeeds, but Pat Mahomes is also immensely talented. Greg Roman and Lamar and John Harbaugh and Baltimore, right? They call plays that are going to allow Lamar Jackson and the offense to succeed. Matt Nagy did not do that. All right. Up until like three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, when he handed the play calling over to Bill Lazor. And I just think, and I know this is, it's tough for me to call one specific play because it's not fair to him, but 
you look at that fourth quarter interception, Mitch has been making that mistake his whole career. Like he's still making the same mistakes he's been making since he was a rookie. Like I, I am happy with how he's been playing. It's been really fun to watch him play. And a lot of credit does go to Bill Lazor. He is, he is calling this offense to go to Mitch's strengths. And that has been awesome. And obviously David Montgomery has stepped up. The offensive line is starting to move things like that's great. But Mitch throws that pick in the fourth quarter, same mistakes he's making since he's a rookie. He's still making those mental errors where he's not reading the field. He's forcing things downfield. You know, he's still, I mean, we watched him get absolutely destroyed in the pocket on one of these plays where he could have made a play, gotten out of the pocket. Like Mitch still makes the same mistakes Mitch makes. And that's the reason why he didn't get his fifth year option picked up. He just doesn't know how to read the field. Like these quick little plays that laser has him going for, like these quick passes, rolling out of the pocket, play action, like those play to his strengths and he looks good. And that's great. Like you can win games like that. You know, you can scheme it like that. You look like what the Rams have done with Jared Goff, save this last weekend. Um, but you look at how teams have been able to build their offenses to their quarterback strengths. I mean, Belichick did that with Brady for years. They won six Super Bowls because of that. So I do think that Mitch will move on from the Bears, unless, of course, the Bears do try to franchise tag him. But he still makes the same mistakes, and that is going to be the ultimate reason why I think he's going to be out of Chicago, because I think he's going to want to move on to a position, where, like you said, said, where they're going to build around him better, and they're going to you know, scheme the way that they should have schemed around him for years. But again, I, I think the whole thing where it's like Mitch, is, Mitch should have been the starter all year, Mitch got benched because of the mistakes he made. Now, going to Foles in the long term might have been the wrong call, but in that in that situation, going to Foles in week three was the right call because Mitch kept making the same mistakes. Now, obviously, Foles getting injured and Mitch coming back, you look at it now, is the right move. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, Mitch hasn't learned from those things. He, he hasn't. He still hasn't developed into the situation where, like, he knows not to force that ball down the field to a third-string tight end who's covered. Like, those are the mistakes that I still don't believe in Mitch Trubisky 100%. Yeah, man. I mean, like, his progressions are kind of – rookie-ish or probably like a freshman in college like you would say and it's more of a thing where Mitch struggles to learn defenses and that's just like you say it said it all falls on your coaching staff because it doesn't fall on the player as much because like in college like you see all these programs you see for example let's take Alabama for example why is Alabama so good because Nick Saban invests in his players. He actually develop or develops relationships with them on a personal level and works with them um, during the summer when the football season is not going around to. So, I mean, he spends time with his players on a one-on-one basis. Whereas, like you mentioned, Sam, Matt Nagy, what he's trying to do in Chicago, he's trying to install um, – a Kansas City type offense where Mitch Montgomery, uh, Allen Robinson, Mooney can run, but like none of those four players are at the skill level of Patrick Mahomes, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, Tyreek Hill, and Miko Hardman. So I mean, that's where I think this coaching st- not not the coaching staff. That's where I think Nagy is failing because he's trying to do something what this offense is not, and he walked away from the strong parts of Mitch after 2018, where he could have been like, all right, Ryan, what can we do to make this team better? Can we go out and get another guard to make this offensive line stronger? 
so Mitch has more time to throw so we can make him we can make the adjustment from 2018 to 2019 to make him a 50-50 pocket passer and a 50-50 mobile quarterback because that's what they do in in year 2 they make the adjustment where you can do both at the same time like you you look at it in Kansas City you watched it last night against the Saints Patrick Mahomes threw I think 40 times and he ran for four times like like that's that's where the adjustment comes in line. Like you saw when he threw 50 touchdowns, he ran the ball a lot, right? And he threw the ball a lot. So then Andy Reid was like, let's make this adjustment where his passing and his running is 50-50. And Patrick Mahomes, I mean, it's, it's working out pretty well for him. And so you just have to be able to coach your players in a way that they can be successful, not not deliberately fail them. So let me, because you mentioned Pat Mahomes' run-pass ratio, right? I think last night, like, Mitch threw the ball, because I know David Montgomery had, like, 32-something carries, right? Okay, and I know Mitch Trubisky ended up throwing the ball just 21 times, right? And I think that, like, a lot of people are like, oh, well, it's a pass first league and whatnot. And it's just like, look, yo, at the end of the day, wins matter. If Mitch Trubisky running the ball, or I'm sorry, Mitch Trubisky throwing the ball 32 times, while I'm mincing, getting all my numbers mixed up here, but if Monty running the ball 32 times and then Mitch Trubisky throwing it just 21 times is the reason that the Bears are going to win. And Matt Nagy essentially called this a balanced offense after the, in the postgame presser yesterday, it was essentially just like, all right, so he's basically admitting that this formula is not working for us, so we're going to stick to it. And now the bigger question just goes to be like, yo, why was this not being run earlier in the year? Why is it like under Nick Foles? I think the first game with Foles, they tried to throw the damn ball like 40 times. And there's also a point in the season where the Bears had like the highest run-to-pass ratio in the NFL favoring the pass. So like you look at all these issues, you know, and it's just like, all right, well, there's clearly something that went down at Hallis Hall in the middle part of the year that led to the dysfunction that we saw. And the six-game losing streak, as crazy as it may sound, I wrote this in my article on Bear Report. I was just like, yo, the six-game losing streak feels like forever ago, but it was only just three weeks ago. And it's hard to believe that even after the six-game losing streak that we're sitting here at a, um, you know, at a chance to get in, uh, get into the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, look at one thing. The Bears scored on, what, eight of their ten possessions? I think it was literally touchdown, field goal, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, field goal, and then one pick, one three and out, and then a field goal at the end of the game. Like, that's good. And that, and that if your offense is cooking at this point in the game, if the Bears – obviously, we need the Cardinals to lose a game. That's a big thing. If the Bears win four games at the end of this year and they only have two games left, they're probably going to beat the Jaguars. I, if the Bears lose to the Jaguars, I'm done. I'm done with this team, man. That, that, like, I will throw all my Bears stuff out the window if we lose to the Jaguars. But if if the Bears win their last four games and there being two games left, if they, if they beat Jacksonville and they beat Green Bay and they make the playoffs, that's a scary team that's on a hot winning streak with an offense that's figuring it out and a defense that is still pretty good. We're going to talk about – I know we're going to talk about defense a little bit in a second, but, you know – that's a scary team to play in the playoffs in the NFC because the Bears' special teams is also pretty good. I know Cordero, Cordero Patterson got a little banged up with his knee this past game, but you know you get good returns on kickoffs. You have good red zone defense. You're good at stopping third down. And now your offense is starting to cook. That is a scary seven scene to play in the NFC for whoever the two seed is. If it's the Saints or whoever, I'll be honest, I see the Bears winning a playoff game. We have to get there first. I'm not going to get my hopes up super high, but – Everything is starting to click right now for the Bears on offense. 
And that's, that's an exciting thing. And that's what I'm more focused on than the future of Mr. Trubisky, I think. And that's what I love. You know, this Bears thing just clicking on all cylinders. Let's just like, you know, like, you know what I think? Just like, don't worry about Mr. Trubisky's future. Like you said, Sam, just like win these games because like, we don't even know if this guy's going to be back or this head coach is going to be back or this GM's going to be back because we've seen them clean house at 10 and six before. So we don't even know what's going to go on. I mean, my man, you, uh, you say knows more than I do, but like when he has the, uh, when he has the news, he'll drop it. But I mean, like, honestly, if you ask me, like, I just want to like just win next week and just make my, make our, make our team in a position to go out there and win week 17. And if it's the Rams or the saints by some, by some like, like seeding miracle, like you faced one of those teams, like we could win a playoff game, but like, like Sam said, we got to get there first. Yeah. So let's kind of transition guys after our game recap and whatnot. And hopefully we're talking about the bears in the playoffs in a couple of weeks, but uh, Sam, we'll start with you on this one. Cause you're a stud. So let's get into our studs and duds, man. Who are some of your studs from this game? <laughs> um, one stud that I noticed on the defensive side of the ball is Bilal Nichols. Nichols has been awesome for the bears these past couple of weeks. I think he's had like seven sacks in the past three games, seven. He had seven tackles for loss. I think this past game, he had one sack and then he was on two like half sacks. I think he was in one with Mac and one with somebody else. I don't remember. I think it might've been the Robert Quinn sack, honestly, but Nichols has stepped up huge in placement of um, Eddie Goldman. And, and obviously again, he's kind of been shifted all over the defensive line. He was a guy that I kind of saw was on the hot seat this year, because again, the 2019 season, he didn't really do a lot. And he's just a lot of fun to watch, man. He's got so much energy. I mean, when you got a guy who, who absolutely cannot stand the Vikings, I mean, he copied the gritty and, you know, he's, he, he is the Viking stopper, in my opinion. He's so much fun to watch on the defensive line. And I'm excited to see what he can do next year with Eddie Goldman, like what they can scheme with him. Um, so that's one of my studs, honestly, on the defensive side of things. Um, Nichols is just a lot of fun to watch, man. And he's, you know, he's a young defensive lineman, a late round pick for the Bears. He was a fifth rounder from, I think, like Nevada. I don't know if I got that school right. You can correct me if I'm wrong there. But that's a guy that's fun to watch on the defensive line. And, and obviously, again, you know, the Bears have a lot of, of studs on the defensive line and Akeem Hicks. And, you know, obviously when Goldman's healthy and, you know, obviously when Roy Robertson Harris was healthy. But Nichols has been playing great football, man. And he's a lot of fun to watch. And he's an absolute terror on the defensive line. So he's one of my studs for sure. Yeah, Nichols is interesting, right? Because like I talked to him during training camp in 2019. He and Duke Shelley were actually the first ever players I interviewed. And Nichols is the kind of guy where it's like when he gets into the room, he knows he's one of the youngest guys there. Like again, we're dating back to almost a year and a half, two years ago at this point, right? But Nichols told me he's like, I asked him a question. I was like, oh yeah, you know, like what have Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman taught you? And he, they're like, yo, the biggest thing that they've taught me since I've entered the NFL is just like, I need, you need to take care of your body and all the techniques. And we're seeing a lot of that, like come to fruition. Now, like the reason he's so successful is not just because Ryan Pace is good at finding late round guys in the draft and not just because of defensive line coach Jay Rogers, but also because like Hick, a lot of Nichols success, right. Has been attributed to having two really good mentors in Eddie Goldman and um Akeem Hicks and like I know Roy Robertson Harris is set to be a free agent in the offseason but like with Nichols emergence I really don't care if the Bears like move on from RRH and just looking at it now I mean it's looking like they are gonna have to move on from RRH in favor of some cheaper options because they have so many needs but AJ who are some of your studs so my stud was uh Brett Urban um 
for a couple of for a couple of weeks now, you know, he's been providing that push. I mean, he chased after Kirk Cousins on a fourth and one play. And, you know, uh, that I think that sealed the game for us. Um, so that was really cool to see. I mean, uh, you know, it's really interesting to see these guys just just come out of nowhere and make plays. And another stud I have is Darnell Mooney, um, who did break the reception record for the Chicago Bears. I think uh, the the record was set in 1966 or 1976. You can correct me on that. But uh, 47 receptions, I think it was. Um, uh, Alex John in 2012 had tw- uh, 24. Granted, he was hurt, but it's so cool to see like a person that was picked in the fifth round just to come out there and be that um, – first team option and i've been saying it ever since we drafted this guy this dude is going to light a fire under ted ginn's ass and he did and look at this guy four touchdowns over 500 all-purpose yards i love this kid man i love darnell mooney man um yeah so those are two um those are my two studs my duds uh this is gonna surprise a lot of people eddie jackson I think he's having a really tough year this year i mean me and austin were texting about it after the game um, yesterday um in the last two years eddie jackson's passer rating was 74.9 this year he's allowing a passer rating of 112.9 and he's averaging 49 49 yards a game and seven and a half yards per target and that's that's not a good sign from eddie jackson i mean maybe maybe it's something something of the defense of what's going on with him but I mean that's my that's my only dud of this of this defense uh, of this team actually um, the offense played really well I didn't really see a dud on there I mean but pretty good pretty good pretty good I would say the only like dud on offense was maybe Cordero Patterson like yeah. you know I, I mean I think he only got I only think he only logged like thirty percent of offensive snaps this week and and you know again when Montgomery's having such a good game and obviously Montgomery's a stud from this game I mean we we've explained it earlier but the dude just absolutely lit it up this week. Um, you know, obviously Patterson got hurt, so that's a big factor into as well. But it's like it's nice to know that Montgomery's going to be the go-to guy moving forward because I like Patterson on offense. I think he brings a lot. But when Patterson's getting split reps with Montgomery, you know what he's going to do? He's going to run the ball. Defenses can scheme for that. So I, I like that we're kind of getting away from that more and, and prioritizing Montgomery. He's really the only dud that I could think of outside of Eddie Jackson. And again, and he made that play at the end of the game. He tipped that pass. Sherrick Manis gets that interception. I mean. I don't think that it was going to be a, a late game touchdown, but you never know. So it's nice to have that reassurance where he can make those plays. It, you said, I'll go to you for your studs and duds though. I don't really have much more else to add. I mean, there's some obvious ones, but kind of already said mine. I mean, yeah, you guys touched on it. Bilal Nichols played great. Brent Urban's been an excellent find that they need to bring back just for defensive line depth and for starting purposes in 2021. Darnell Mooney has been excellent. Darnell Mooney is that guy this year that every single year I say this, there's the one mid-round rookie that Ryan Pace finds. This year, it's Darnell Mooney, all right? Now, my one big dud, though, is... Anthony Miller, because this is a guy who led, who had about 33 receptions and seven touchdowns as a rookie, really was being called Antonio Brown light in a lot of ways. And you heard wide receiver coach Mike Fury praise him in the offseason with a lot of the comments saying, hey, Anthony's at a crossroads in his career. Me and had. Me and him, we've talked. We've had some difficult conversations. He had one reception yesterday. He's being outplayed by a fifth-round rookie in Darnell Mooney. And Anthony Miller, for those of you guys that don't remember, was a second-round pick. So when I look at it, you're sitting here in year three, all right? Had you broken out this year, had a true breakout, you know what? You would have been in a situation where 
next offseason, the 2021 offseason, you're eligible for a contract extension. But right now, I mean, he's only got 45 receptions, right? 462 yards, all right? And then his yards per reception is the lowest it's ever been in his career because he's averaging just 10.3, which I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's still 10 yards. It's like, no, it's still pretty low compared to the 12 yards that he was averaging, nearly 13 yards his first two seasons. So Anthony Miller is a guy that I think at this point he'll be here in 2021 because you're not going to cut more players and create like additional needs but he's a guy that really has not lived up to expectations and the time is ticking for him because i seriously believe that next season is going to be his last season with the bears yeah um, i mean go ahead, go ahead Millers, i really think that the coaching staff is not using them right i really think that maggie is not not just uh, i i bill laser this past year for anthony miller 2019 was just piss poor i mean i really think that like the drop caches was something that he needed to get onto but this year i think that the coaching staff needs to use him right i think a person that can scheme people open they can use guys like a guy like brian dable what he's been able to do with cole beasley you know like the guy that we always thought that was washed from dallas this guy puts up 165 yards in two games in Buffalo, I mean, I just think like it's a it's a matter of coaching for Anthony Miller and just involving Darnell Moody and Anthony Miller within those two within those two receivers and their time split together. I think it's just more of a coaching issue with um, thing. But like you said, I agree. Like if he doesn't do if he doesn't do much, he he's gonna walk after twenty twenty one. I see I see him like a Jarvis Landry light situation where like he does ball out in his fourth year and we get a comp pick out of it. I see him being a Patriot. I don't know what it is, but I see him being a Patriot. I don't know what it is, but I could see him in a Patriots uniform. But two guys I do want to shout out. I wouldn't necessarily say they were studs, but um, with with the exception of one miscommunication, I really liked what I saw at Duke Shelley and uh, Kendall Wilder. I mean, for Shelley, you're basically playing for that starting job next year. And, and honestly, in the two games I've seen him play, like, I think he's earned it for next year at least. I mean, again, cutting buster screen is going to save some money, and, and that's cap space that the Bears need. And when you have a six-round pick like Shelley, who, who's played okay, I mean, he hasn't done anything special, but he hasn't also, like, made a ton of mistakes. That's great, in my opinion, that you can find a guy like that. And then for, for Vilder, I mean, again, besides that miscommunication on that Adam Thielen touchdown, Vilder played a solid game. I mean, he had that one pass interference. Like, I think it, it was against Thielen that – I went back and watched it. He was hand fighting, but that wasn't pass interference. That was kind of a soft call. But again, these are two young guys who I think had solid games. And for a Bears secondary that had some injuries, obviously you're hoping Jalen Johnson can play next week, but Vilder played respectively. And I, and I liked what I saw of him. He fights at the line. He pushes guys at the line with his hands. Like he, he will fight you with the, not fight, fight, like, sorry, Javon Williams, but he will hand fight you at the offense, at the line of scrimmage. And he's going to, he's going to annoy you the crap out of you if you're a receiver. And I like that. He's a scrappy little guy. You know, I am hoping we can kind of see a little bit more out of him the rest of this year, especially if Johnson isn't ready to go next week. I feel like, you know, Vilder can play respectfully enough to be a good backup in this league. And, and I think he can kind of shift around between nickel and outside and same thing with Shelly and you want versatile cornerbacks and that's a good thing. So I liked what I saw out of both of them. I wouldn't say they were studs, but I wouldn't call them duds. They're kind of just like solid. That's the best word to describe it. Yeah. And it's like, I'm glad you brought those up because now that I think of it, just looking at the future of the bears, I mean, 
the the reality of the situation is just going to be that you are going to have to move on from like these older guys like Buster Screen, right? Like to Sean Gibson too, in 2021, you're going to have to have you're going to have to get the most out of these younger you know, defenses. I think it's going to be a defense, which, yeah, you're going to have guys like there's a possibility that Akeem Hicks is here, is not here. Danny Trevathan is definitely going to be here, but you're going to have some of these younger guys too, like Vildor and Roquan Smith and Duke Shelley. You're going to, the Bears are going to have to rely on them to start stepping up and making plays. So everything that we see now over the next three weeks isn't just about 2020. It's really about 2021 as well. And, uh, and speaking of duds, we want to talk about uh, Kyle Santos. Man, you know, Santa Claus smokes. Does it feel good to have a kicker? Yeah. You know, Santa Claus is coming to town, dude. That's, that's the official saying now. Okay. Santos Claus, Santos Claus is coming to town, dude. Cause I like, he, I like that. Yeah. He killed it yesterday, dude. He, the thing is, right. Is it's like the only downside I see of Santos's emergence is that like the bears traded a conditional 2020 or yeah. Conditional seventh round pick in 2021 to the Raiders to grab Eddie Pinheiro. And last year I thought Eddie Pinheiro, despite like the groin injury that he had. And then I think he had like a knee injury as well, but he kicked in a couple games with the injury. I was like, look, I think that, you know, we're not going to have a seventh round pick, which kind of sucks. Cause like this team needs all the draft capital it can get right now with a lot of like, you know, just the, um, with a lot of like the depth that is going to be leaving after this year. But yeah, anyway, that's the only downside is the Bears, they lost out on a 2021 seventh round pick for a guy who kicked in like what, 16 games for them. But yeah, Santos's emergence has been great. I mean, he definitely looked better than double doink Parky. So, yo, he doinked. He doinked in that Cleveland game. He hit that oh, up right. And he did. He did. If Browns, you got to cut him, man. I said this last week. You're going to lose a playoff game. Like He's going to cost you a playoff game, man. There's so many better options than him. Just cut him. You're paying him nothing. Get anyone else. Trade. We'll give you Eddie Pinero. He's on IR, but still. In all seriousness, like every time Santos goes out to kick, I go on my phone. Like That's how confident I feel on him. And I haven't felt that confident in a kicker since Robbie Gould. And and again, like I don't know how much his his extension would be to bring him back or whatever, but it just feels nice to have a kicker who can kick well and you know he's going to make it. I mean, he's what? He's made 20 consecutive field goals this year? That's insane. I'm pretty sure he broke Robbie Gould's record for the Bears. He started Sunday's game with, I think, with like 18 or 19 straight, I think. And then out of nowhere, that number was up to like 23 to 24 consecutive field goals. So like Santos Claus is on the money, dude. And it's exciting to see, right, just because – when you realize it, like, okay, yeah, we thought that we were just a kicker away from going to the Super Bowl, and then all these other needs, like, came up. But, yo, this is the one less need that the Bears have to address. And quite frankly, like, less needs are actually – for a team like this, okay, that's going to have limited resources, less needs are actually better, all right? Uh, Robert Quinn's a complete – Robert Quinn's been the biggest dud of the season, right? He When he had the one sack yesterday – I was in one of our group chats, right? And I was like, oh my God, $70 million man, Robert Quinn, casually earning every penny. I mean, that's how sarcastic I was with Robert Quinn. But yeah, he was just so disappointing, dude. Yeah, and and again, I mean, I think he did have a good game. He did have a good game. But yeah, I I do agree. He's been a disappointment this year. And and maybe it's because I I saw a couple of tweets about it. Like maybe it's just because he's playing on social field. When he plays on turf, he looks looks a little bit better. But I, I know going back to Santos, like, it feels nice to know that every time he goes out there, it's an automatic three or one. Automatic. Yeah, Santos is 25-27, 92.6 field goal percentage. Last time he missed was week three against the, the Falcons. He's perfect since then. 
That is pretty good. I don't want to jinx anything, so I'm going to knock on wood. Where's wood? There we go. So My uh, desk is wood, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I think with Robert Quinn, guys, I mean, you, uh, you say brought it up. I just think that, like, you know, our ownership can, like, invest in turf. I think a lot of players on our team would appreciate that gesture with, like, you know, Darna Mooney's, like, blazing speed. You know, I mean, turf can be a good factor if, if the Bears can invest in it. You know, it, it would be pretty cool. I mean, I think a lot of players are, like, Lynn's Frank injuries. Like, my high school had turf, so – a lot of people with foot injuries, they tend to do better on turf than grass because there's a lot of uh, pressure needs to be put on grass instead of turf. Yeah, it's annoying. Um, but, you know, what are we going to do? It's the yeah. city being a bunch of weirdos about it. Talk to freaking Lori Lightfoot, dude. She pisses me off, okay? Saying, like, yeah, we need the Bears to win or whatever. Yeah, but then it's like, you know, well, your agencies aren't going <laughs> to give – the Bears, the necessary resources to win. But yeah, we're not going to like get into politics here <laughs> or any of that on the pod. Joining us now, though, on the other line, we've got 1010XL's very own Taylor Dahl on the show. That's the flagship radio station of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You can follow Taylor on Twitter at Taydahl1010XL. It's way better than my Twitter handle. But, Taylor, what's going on? Thanks for being on here. Hey, not much, guys. Thanks for having me. I don't know if a lot of people know, so I'm, I'm conflicted in this one because I'm a diehard Bears fan, but I work for the Jaguars affiliate. So it's a, it's a little, it's been a, a long season for both ways. Okay, so got it. You get like both ends of the spectrum because you have one team that's essentially locked into the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes and hopefully in a couple months, they'll be out of the, um, you know, QB purgatory for like the next 15 years. But then you have the Bears and it's like no direction whatsoever, aging defense, all that kind of stuff. And it's only once every four years you get to see both of them square off, right? Right. Yeah. And I think that this year, I mean, the Jags and the Bears just have this history, I think, where... They both just are, have bad luck. And it's year after year where, I mean, even when you go back to the one draft of 2017 where everyone says you could have had Patrick Mahomes. And for the Bears, you know what the Bears got that year. Um, for the Jags, they got Leonard Fournette, and that didn't work either. And so I think every year it's kind of been like that for both teams when they could go to the playoffs. The Jags were in the AFC Championship, whistleblown early, Miles Jack wasn't down, was a big thing here, and they ended up losing in that game, and then the Bears, obviously, the double doink. So I think that the, both teams have like this history of just bad things happening. So the Jaguars fans are completely terrified that the Bears are going to come in here and the Jags are going to end up beating them somehow, and I think the Bears kind of had that in the back of their mind, too. Yeah, that would be the most Bears thing ever. You know, like amongst the Bears fan base, there's a saying that's such a Bears thing. I mean, that yeah. would seriously be the most Bears thing ever, essentially just that the Bears go on the road in a game that they should probably win by like 35 points or something. And yeah. then they just end up completely laying an egg. Yeah. And because comparably, like you said, they the Bears are definitely a much better team. And especially within this last four weeks, the offense finally finding some sort of spark and finding ways to use Montgomery better is huge. Um, I don't know how other markets 
look at the Jags because the Jags are kind of like a smaller market and usually not in a lot of things, but they have guys like James Robinson. I don't know if you guys know him, but he was an undrafted rookie this last year and sits just behind Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook and yards for rushing this year. And he's a monster. Um, if, the, if they can find a way to shut him down, like you said, it should be a multiple score lead for the Bears, but it, that's who knows if that's going to happen. So I want to go back to James Robinson because you mentioned him just for a moment here. I know that he was one because he went to um, school right here at Illinois State, right? So I guess a lot of like fans did not know of him until he burst onto the scene. But kind of take me through that story. Like, did he burst onto the scene right after the Jags got rid of Leonard Fournette? Or was it something that like in training camp, there was hype around some guy named James Robinson? Yeah, so honestly, it was a little bit of hype in training camp, but not as much for when the news that they got rid of Fournette, the Jags fans were like, oh, we're taking. Like, that's what's happening because they didn't think that James Robinson would be anything close to Fournette, but Fournette struggled. I mean, he's he's not good at when it comes to vision. He's not good at finding gaps. He's more of that guy that, like, if you give him any space, open field, it's good. He can truck some guys, but he's not – that doesn't have the vision. And James Robinson once – I mean, I think it only took two, three games for fans to really realize that this guy was something different. And – I mean, there was a couple games this season where the Jags would not be even in the game if it wasn't for James Robinson. So, I mean, he, he progressed game by game, and I think he's getting more comfortable. Um, he's just a really cool, humble guy, too. So, like, anytime you talk to him, he's one of those ones where, like, he'll compliment the line on every game. Like, they'll be like, you just rushed for this many yards and two touchdowns. How, you know, how is that? And he's always like, oh, well, the line did a great job for blocking. Like, it's never him. So, it's really cool to have guys like that in Jacksonville because for a lot of years – I'm sure the whole league heard about Ramsey and Yannick Ngakwe and all these like toxic guys who talk really bad about Jacksonville. So it was good to have, it's good to have someone like that, but Jacks fans are 1000% happy that, that Fournette's gone and Robinson's here. So kind of getting into the game here this weekend, right? Like who do you, I mean, who do you think has to have a big game besides James Robinson for the Jacks to actually be able to pull off an upset? Um, I think that, Obviously, Minshew. Minshew, the reason they went back, they've had the back-and-forth quarterback this year, too. It was Minshew, and then he got benched for the former Bear, Mike Glennon. And then Luton came in, and then they would go back to Minshew. So it's been all over the place. But Minshew's definitely the option and more of along the lines why the Bears went back to Trubisky is mobility. Minshew can move. He can extend some drives with his feet. And that helps when your offensive line isn't giving you all the time you need. Um, the problem with Minshew is he leaves the pocket too early a lot of times and he'll scramble for no reason rather than just scramble to get yards. And that hurts the Jags a lot of times. Um, DJ Chark's a huge part of this offense and the receiving size, and he's been getting really frustrated lately. So if somehow Gardner Minshew and DJ Chark can find that connection again, it's definitely going to be big. Um, defensively wise for guys like Joe Schobert, um, who has for a while wasn't looking really good for the Jags at all. The main reason they brought Joe Schober in was for Miles Jack to go to his more natural position. So Miles Jack's had a great year because he's back to like what he does best. Um, so in that, I think with Miles Jack and Joe Schober, um, those guys having big games and getting Trubisky, I think is huge. And then, like I said, offensively, I think Gardner Minshew and that chart connection is going to be the only way I feel like the Jags could pull an upset. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, I think I saw a report a couple of weeks ago saying that, well, Dave Caldwell's out, but then Doug Marone might stick around. And it kind of gets me thinking because Doug Marone seemingly has been there for, like, 
forever at this point. And I'm like, all right, you do have two first round picks in the 2021 draft. You're bringing probably going to get Lawrence or Fields. It's more looking now likely that it's Lawrence, but like why keep Doug Marone around? Has Marone really done that good of a job? And in the context of this weekend's game, do you think he can coach well enough to keep the Jags in the game? I, I don't think he's done well enough at all. Um, the the relationship between Shad Khan, the Jags owner, and Doug Marone is weird. And it's been year after year where Shad Khan's like, we're going to give him another chance. We're going to give him another chance. I, I guess that he possibly sees something um, that maybe we don't. Last year, it was Tom Coughlin. They fired Tom Coughlin because they thought that was going to be the answer or they thought that would just kind of like hush fans a little bit. Um, that didn't work. So now I think they're like, all right, well, if we get rid of Todd Wash, defensive coordinator, uh, Jay Gruden, I don't see them getting, you know, they've only had him a year and the offense has sparked in moments. Um, so I don't think that will be somebody that's gone, but I think that Doug Marone winning a game or two in the end. And like you said, knowing that he could, the problem is if he wins, they're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. It would be field. So I think that people might be upset about that, but giving, the draft position at one or two. In addition to the Jags are going to have a lot of money. Um, like what, what first or second most cap space after this season. So whoever comes here, GM wise, coach wise, or whoever stays is going to have a lot to work with. So I don't know if Shad Khan's thinking in that light, uh, thinking, Hey, maybe if we give Doug Marone one more year, but we go get another general manager and we have this high draft pick and we give him a bunch of money. He can go build this team around Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Um, but I'm telling you, Jags fans would probably burn down downtown if Doug Marone's here next year. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm one of the people that, you know, I'm not even a Jags fan. Obviously, I'm a Bears fan, a Bears writer. And just, you know, when you do write about a specific team, you tend to have like a good or like you cover the Jags, right? You just tend to have a general idea of what's going on in other fan bases. And I've been long one of the ones that's been like, you need, you guys need to fire Doug Marone and hire someone like Joe Brady or Eric the enemy. But yeah, kind of getting back to the game here, right? Who like, who are, who do you think are besides James Robinson? Right. And I know you touched on this with like Minshew and, um, Minshew and DJ Chark as well. And I love DJ Chark, by the way, because he kind of helped me in fantasy earlier in the year. But um, who are some players on the defensive side of the ball for the Jags that you're like, look, these guys have to have big games if they are going to slow down Allen Robinson, if they are going to contain David Montgomery? Yeah, and I, the, I, like I said, I know Joe Schobert um, in the middle is huge. Miles Jack's huge. Other than that, Josh Allen, I think – Jags have been a little disappointed with Josh Allen this year because last year he had nine sacks and was just an absolute monster. And they kind of expected that to happen this year, but the defensive line just has not been as good. So it's been a lot. Uh, they drafted Caleb on chase on who was supposed to be the big help for him. And Caleb on just has not been there. Um, that's why Jack's defense has just, I mean, struggled on all fronts this year. And there were some games where it was just so bad. Um, CJ Henderson who got hurt. So they had guys like Jared Wilson come in and Jared Wilson got injured early, came back. Um, but Jared Wilson's, I think will be a phenomenal player. Once he, you get the other help, CJ Henderson's supposed to be that guy. So if it was Jared Wilson and CJ Henderson out there, it'd be a different game. Um, but I, I mainly think it's going to be more of, uh, Joe Schobert getting, you know, getting to Trubisky. I don't see a lot of the guys, the Jacks have barely been able to get to a quarterback this year, actually, and sack-wise. They can hurry. They've, you know, they've put some pressure a little bit, but you're not seeing a whole lot of sacks. Like, back in 2017, it was Saxonville. That is completely gone now. 
Um, so to me, if in some way Caleb on Chason can help Joe Schobert out and Miles Jack, the only person defensively I really see having a big game is probably Jared Wilson or Joe Schobert. And the rookie cornerback, CJ Henderson, he's on the Jags right now too, right? How has he been doing this year? Well, he was doing the first, I want to say two or three weeks looked really good. Um, the Jags were pumped because obviously that was the first, the, their first pick overall, not first overall, but for the Jags. And that was a guy from Florida. So people from here were super excited to get the skater here that a lot of got, you know, you watched him a lot last season and saw what he could do. Um, first few weeks, he looked really good. After that, it looked like he was getting blown out a lot. Um, he was getting beat on a lot of passes. Uh, people were scoring on him on almost every time something was thrown towards him. And then he got injured. And um, after that is when the Jacks just kind of had to do a whole kind of switch around for their defense. And uh, they, there was probably two or three weeks where they were on, I mean, signing guys for a day, like just a game to have somebody on the defense of side of the ball to help out because so many guys were getting hurt. Um, some of them are slowly starting to get back, but CJ Henderson is definitely one who I think is, could be good, but with how bad this defense was overall, you know, and I don't know a lot of people how in depth they know about it, but when you talk to guys, uh, we'll have a lot of the ex Jags on here all the time. And they're like, you don't understand how difficult it is to, if you're, linebackers aren't doing their job how much more pressure is on your dbs and that's what happened to cj henderson everyone was going straight through the linebackers and so cj henderson was having to do everything for a few games and it was taking a toll on him definitely but i think i think that he's going to be able to progress from that once they build around him a little bit and help the defense up front so switching over to the bears side of the ball or the bears side here i mean what do you think the Bears need to do to actually win this game? Because, like, we've seen head coach Matt Nagy basically say, oh, yeah, you know, if we have to run the ball, like, 30 times a game and this is going to help uh -huh. us win this balanced formula, we're going to go ahead and do that. But what do the Bears need to do to win? Yeah, I would say, number one, yes, use Montgomery a ton. Uh, the Jags last year and a large portion of this year, terrible against the run if you look at any game where they have a strong running back it's the guys i mean i don't know if you just saw what derrick henry did to granted derrick henry is a whole different level running back but what he did to the jags was embarrassing um if you can find that run game against the jags it's going to be a very easy game um jags in the red zone are not good once they get into the red zone it's almost like they just completely crumble. They're not one of the ones that can hold you to three, which I feel like we've seen a lot of happen to the Bears recently. At least they're getting there and they're scoring, but you want to see more touchdowns. So I think that for the Bears to win, they're definitely going to have to use Montgomery. Um, I like the way that Mitchell spreads the ball. I want to see more with Komet. I think Komet's been uh, a lot when he gets the ball and using tight ends, the, the Jags don't even know what a tight end is because they have the worst luck ever with tight ends. So anytime there's another, there's a strong tight end, Jags don't know how to cover that. Um, and with the depleted defensive backs right now, they're on the young guys. They already had a rookie team. They had the youngest team overall coming into this season. And now a lot of the guys even got hurt. Some of the older guys anyways got hurt. So that was even a younger team. Um, the Bears need to wear down the Jags defense and so offensively for the Bears they just wear them down run the ball over and over again with Montgomery and spread it out a little bit use Komet obviously we're going to see A-Rob the, the Jags and A-Rob have this little sourness against them um Jags fans are kind of like 
almost bitter towards Allen Robinson, even though it wasn't Allen Robinson who like left the Jacksonville. Jacksonville got rid of him. But there's this little thing where they hate seeing Allen Robinson succeed. So Allen Robinson coming in here and just running over the Jaguars would be ideal. Yeah, I know. A big shout out to A-Rob, though, even though he did get the I mean, he got snubbed from the Pro Bowl, right? Which always yeah. sucks, but he'll probably name there as an alternate. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. you know, speaking of A-Rob, right? Kind of, you mentioned that Jags fans are bitter. Is this uh, because he's been gone for like two and a half, three years now? Is this something, though, that's kind of been building up in the sense that when the schedule is out, people are like, yeah, this is the week we get to see A-Rob, and it's the A-Rob revenge game? Yeah, and I think that all year it's been like that in the light of, Okay, they almost feel bad for A-Rob because they're like, this poor guy went from having Bortles to Mitchell Trubisky to Foles back to Trubisky. So Jags fans almost mock it, but when you sit there and you see numbers, it's hard to deny how good Allen Robinson can be even with these quarterbacks. So I constantly retweet, you know, all the PFS stuff where they're like, oh, A-Rob hasn't dropped a ball in this long and he has this and this. And Jags fans hate it. They're like, poor guy, get him out of Chicago. Um, I think all year up until this point where now the Jags are just straight in tank mode, um, it would have been a revenge and a let's get back and show a Rob like, you know, what he's missing here in Jacksonville. But now it's almost to the point where a lot of are like, I hope he has like 200 yards and two touchdowns because we need to lose this game. And that's where the Jags mindset is right now. They're like, just come, like, just come and beat us however you want to beat us. Um, but it, it would definitely, I feel like, be a, a slap in the face for a lot of the fans if he did come in here and actually do that with Trubisky. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, you mentioned all those quarterbacks he brought up, and then I always go back and I think of it. I'm like, hey, listen, I love A-Rob, you know. I was uh, at Bears camp in 2019 back when it was open to the public and he was standing like four or five feet from me and I'm like, what's up, dude? Like I said hi to A-Rob, but it's always <laughs> just like, hey, listen, I feel bad for you because you have bad quarterback play, but then at the same time, it's just like your decision came down to Mitch Trubisky and Aaron Rodgers and you chose Mitch Trubisky, yeah. you know? So it's just like, it's also kind of hard to me to feel bad for A-Rob in that sense because it's just like, well, you made a bad decision is I think what it comes down to. Yeah, well, and I think that for him, too, it's almost a compliment in a sense, though, because he is putting up these numbers and he is doing these things. The unfortunate thing, if he was in Green Bay playing with Alan, I mean, with Aaron Rodgers, he'd be a Pro Bowl guy. So those kind of things, maybe he's missing out. But at the same time, he can sit there at the end of the day and be like, I'm putting up numbers with these guys who are very mediocre, possibly be below mediocre quarterbacks and can still do it. So who knows if he's going to be a bear in the future. Um, I, I wish he's one of the guys that I wish all the luck to because he's a good guy and you love to see him ball out. Um, and him do, you know, like he's kind of had Mitch's back. You never see him. You've never seen him turn on Mitch. A lot of guys here in Jacksonville, we see, we've seen in the last couple of years turn on the team. Um, and it, it's not fun when your locker room gets to that point. It's everything just starts to crumble. And we saw that, like I said, with Jalen Ramsey and uh, Yannick Ngakwe, AJ Boye, all these guys completely trash talk Jacksonville in every aspect after they left and trash talk to Blake Bortles and all of these people. Leonard Fournette goes to Tampa and is like, finally, I have a quarterback that can throw to me. And I, at least A-Rob's not that guy. Like you mm -hmm. would kind of always see him support the duties with at that time, you know? 
Got it. So looking at, you know, what is the Jags, you know, for Jags fans and you guys over there at Tencent XL, just kind of what is the impression of like the Bears defense? Because it's a unit that has a lot of talent, but unfortunately Chuck Pagano's not getting the most out of it. I mean, they've regressed in sacks and takeaways massively this year. I mean, I think their best performance under Chuck Pagano was about two weeks ago against the Houston Texans where they had seven sacks. Yeah, I think that honestly, up until about four weeks ago, everybody at the station I work at, at 1010, they were all saying the Bears are still top three defense. That's how they look at it. A lot of these guys are fantasy football owners, and in that they play the defense, and a lot of them have Roquan, and Roquan's had a monster year, and they know Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks, and I don't think they've watched every game to know, to see what we see, to where we do see it, you know, we've seen it go down, and we've seen you're used to seeing the turnovers like crazy and you're used to seeing the sacks, but I think we got spoiled a little bit in 2018 with how much the defense could score and how much they could actually physically take down the quarterback that you don't realize that it's still, it's a good defense and there are a lot of pieces. Um, but I do agree. I think that they are starting to see the last four weeks with teams scoring third Detroit scoring third over 30 on us, things like that. And then teams like the Vikings, that first game, that was just not a good game. Um, Jacksonville starts noticing things like that and they're like okay well maybe this defense isn't as good as we thought it was five weeks ago um but it takes one game I think and that's what the Bears have shown is one game and it's just they they can be lights out it just takes Mac to have that one you know get knock a head off the quarterback and then you build all this momentum um I feel like we were what game was it that Javon Wins got thrown out um that was yeah the saints game and it was just yeah. like because i you know i'm not at the stadiums this year unfortunately the press pass but it was just like all of us were sitting home we're watching the game and it's just like what the hell did javon wins just do and then i think it was yeah shauncey gardner johnson looked at him like excuse me who are you because outside of the bears fan base it's just like not many people have heard of javon wins unless you're a diehard georgia fan yeah well and javon's from jacksonville so Everybody here knows Javon Wims, like at least at the station because he went to high school here. But it was it was more of like a joke. Everyone's like, oh, of course, like Jacksonville guy punching some guy out on the field. But that was the game that I feel like things started going south. Like that was the defense just started after Javon punched him. It just started going down. And I feel like it hasn't really gotten back to where it could possibly be. And I don't know if that, maybe there's injury, you know, Mac and Hicks have been off and on the injury report for weeks now where we don't, they're questionable, 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 and like, okay, they're playing. So maybe they're not 100%. I don't know. Um, but we were talking about snubs, and that's another one to me. Uh, a Roquan and the Pro Bowl, I think, should be there 1,000%. Um, because they do have people like that. I think Jalen has done a great job out there. Um, it's fun to watch him. I think all these guys have room to grow, but like you said, it is an aging defense. So they have to figure out if this is going to be their high point, if they're going to win something with the, with the defense, it's going to have to be now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think that there's any like weaknesses on, you know, the bears defense that you see the Jags offense taking advantage of at all? Um, the bears defense. Let me think the Jack. The problem is I think that, the Jags find ways to make the big explosive plays. And those are where I feel like the Bears struggle. The ones where all of a sudden the quarterback throws 
45 yards downfield and then gets another 15 yards after contact. And the Jags somehow find ways to find those plays, even with Jake Luton, where everyone was like, who is this guy? And he was through a 77 yard pass down the field to DJ Chark. And you're like, where did that even come from? Um, The Jags do stuff like that. So I think the bears can't sit back and relax. They can't sit back and say, okay, this is Gardner Minshew. He does. He can't throw the ball downfield um, because the moment you do that, Gardner Minshew will. Or the moment you ease up at all up front, Gardner Minshew's going to run for 15 yards because, like I said, he, he scrambles. He'll run like crazy, sometimes way too early. Um, so I think that's where the Jags could take advantage of the Bears is just the Bears, try, you know, laxing up a little bit, thinking Gardner Minshew can't make the throw when he can. Got it. And I know that, like, Trubisky's decision-making, right, it's been better over the last few weeks, but we know how it is when you kind of take the training wheels off and Trubisky gets all erratic. Is there anything that the Jags' defense can do to kind of um, slow Trubisky down? Yeah, I mean, I think that, to me, uh, Trubisky is almost better under pressure to me, which is funny because I remember hearing – I can't remember – I want to say it was Howie Long saying, I've never seen a quarterback better under pressure than when he is like just normal, give him time. And you see that constantly with Trubisky. You see those moments when they screenshot the play and there's tight end open right up the middle and he's scrambling back and forth trying to find somebody else, but there's nobody around. But then the moment someone comes up to him, he like throws some 10-yard pass right on the sideline on the right-hand side and that's when he gets it. Um, I think Trubisky, he just has those, that's his flaw is when you give him too much time, he almost overthinks it, um, which could be bad because this defense isn't good and they're not going to get to him often. Most likely there hasn't been many games when you're seeing the Jags defense actually get to the quarterback. Um, and you almost want it a little bit, I feel, which it sounds bad because you don't want your quarterback getting hit, but Trubisky at Trubisky, I think, performed better when there's a little bit of more pressure on him and he doesn't have so much time to think. I know a lot of the players at Hallis Hall have been saying, hey, we're in playoff mode from here on out, which I know Darnell Mooney, I think, said that on Sunday in the post-game pressers. And so I feel like, you know, this is one of those games where we are going to see, like, game manager Mitch Trubisky come out and kind of throw for, like, three or four touchdowns. One, because it's about against the bad defense. And just uh-huh. a team that's already looking forward – or that's been looking forward to 2021 since before the season even began. But yeah. – um. You know, also because like the Bears, they know that they're in desperation mode right now, but they know that they're still in it. Yeah. And I think that obviously that shifted this last couple of weeks. It was almost a roller coaster of, okay, this is awesome. You're five and one. And then you lose a bunch in a row. And I was almost to the point I was talking on Helmets and Heels, which is a show I do Tuesday nights. And I was like, the roller coaster that I went on of like, oh my gosh, we're five and one. This is a Bears wise. Our five and one, this is a crazy season to all of a sudden. I'm like, well, we almost need to lose because now what? You, What are we going to do quarterback-wise? There's no way we can keep Trubisky or Foles. They're not the answer. And now we're five and six trying to figure out what we're going to do, like maybe in draft position to get Zach Wilson or something like that. So I started going into panic mode, like just lose now. Don't win any more games. But then they started winning and actually looking good. And I was like, okay, never mind. This is good. And then they give you that little hope, like you said, where you're like, okay, win these two games, let the Cardinals lose, and you can get in the playoffs. And that totally changes the mentality. Um, and I think the the Bears are that team, to, like you said, that it, it's almost scarier that they could – lose to the Jaguars this weekend 
more than it is the Packers because I feel like they just play with that extra oomph most of, most of the time with the Packers. This, the first game this year I think was weird. As Trubisky was just back. He hadn't played in weeks, and it was just not a great game at all. He started finding it towards the end. Um, but I feel like coming down to the last game of the season for the pack, like against the Packers, and that could potentially be the game to get you in the playoffs, just has to give them some sort of motivation. Okay, yeah, I... It's funny you brought that up because I was actually going to ask you. It's only like once every seven or eight years the Bears play the Packers in Week 17 at Soldier Field, right? And you were at that game in 2013, yes. right? So, oh, I was. It was so depressing. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was just a cold Chicago day too, right? And I think that was the year it was Siberia. And so you yeah. had like the bad weather combined with like this last minute loss to the Packers and then obviously poor Jay Cutler sitting on the bench. And yeah. I was just like, are you serious with this? Like, how could you do this to me? <laughs> I know. I'll, I actually went because my birthday is the 20th of December. So that was like my birthday present and um, to myself. So and none of my friends wanted to go. So I ended up going to this game by myself, like drove up to Chicago, which is 16 hours from here. Drove to Chicago, went to this game by myself, like so pumped. But first of all, if people don't remember the week before, if they would have beat Dallas, we already would have clinched the NFC North and they like bombed that game. So it ended up coming down to that Packers game. But I just remember sitting there and it was a good game. You're excited the whole time. But then Aaron Rodgers has the ball and you're like, this is just this is the way we go. This is what happens. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, 2013 season was definitely ups and downs. And then it just went like all downhill from there from like 2014 to at least like uh, 2017. So I'm really looking forward to this Packers game just because I know like this Bears team is obviously more talented despite the record than like that 2013 team ever was. You know, granted, the 2013 team had a bit more offensive firepower, but like that team didn't have a defense too. This team has like some offensive firepower and then at least a good defense. So I'm hoping for a uh, different result in uh, two weeks. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, I, I think that that point, especially towards the end of the season, is when Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey were kind of like fighting over who should get the ball more. And the offense just started kind of crumbling towards the end of the year, though, because Jay Cutler's like, look, I don't know what to do. Like Alshon dropped the one in the end zone at the end that ended up losing that game. But it, I think that was, like you said, it started to just decline there for a few years. So it, it was it was fun in 2018. And then now you're back to what exactly do you do? Because the question is, is there do you go for a quarterback or do you keep Trubisky? And there's all these people like maybe you should resign Trubisky now. But five weeks ago, there's no way they would say that. <laughs> I know I'm on the board of, uh, you know, just my personal opinion is that I'm on the board of like, okay, so Mitch is at like, whatever, you know, the last six games to kind of prove himself, but he also had like 40 something games before he got benched. So I'm on the board of like, or I'm on the train of like, yeah. So why would you resign him even if he's going to finish the season strong? But I also understand there is the point, you know, you are going to likely cross the scenario of unless you're willing to get rid of Allen Robinson and Akeem Hicks and Kyle Fuller and significantly restructure like Khalil Mack's contract, then yeah. Trubisky's probably your best option for 2021. Yeah, and I agree with that. You you have to be careful with that contract. The Jags did that after the year with the AFC Championship year, and they signed Bortles. And that was the – we literally call that like the end of the good because – 
they signed Bortles and everything possibly bad that could happen after that started happening. And just between they spent, they didn't have the money to spend on other things that year because of Bortles, they got rid of Alan Robinson. They got rid of Hearns. They got rid of Barry church. They got rid of all of these guys that were big pieces of their team. And then thinking that Bortles was the answer. And then the next year they come back and they're like, well, Bortles is not the answer. And they had to completely rebuild again. And I think that would be scary for the bears to have to do, because there are some guys right now that in the next two, three years have to win, or it's not going to have a chance. Definitely. So last one for you here, before we get off, give me your score prediction for this week's weekend's game. Oh man. Okay. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to say the Bears will win. What can Mitchell put up? I'm going to say the Bears will win 32-23. Okay, I'm going to go with – I'm going to say 30-17 to 17 just because I feel like Minshew Mania, you know, is, um, is at least going to give – at least give the Jags fans some hope because if they, it's like with Minshew and Trubisky, right? I feel like the big thing is that doesn't matter what the record is. You're at least going to tune in because these guys give you a reason to tune in. It kind of makes the game exciting. Cause like I know Gardner, the few times I've watched the Jags, like he can just turn it on at any moment, you know? Yeah. But if yeah. Some, if, if in some miracle, which I think we've all noticed this year that the bears have struggled tremendously scoring in the third quarter, so let's like hope the Bears can get a touchdown in the third because that has led to a couple wins. Yeah, so I'm going to go with like 30 to 17, right? I feel like, all right, the Jags are going to be in this one, but they're not really going to be in this one because if you're ownership at this point, like you're probably looking past Doug Marone. You're like, hey, these last two weeks of the season are completely worthless and meaningless. Like I'm ready for Lawrence and Fields at this point. Yeah, the the thing with like the most recent uh, press conference with Aronis, he was like, I'm not thinking about the draft. I'm not thinking about Trevor Lawrence. I'm not thinking the postseason. These guys want to win now. Like, you know, my job depends on wins. Their job and contracts next year depend on wins. That's what's scary about Marone is he's almost that like Belichick mentality where he's like, I'm not going to lose just because it's possibly going to help the team next year. Um, that's what scares me a little bit, but also he's, just hasn't proved it like I mean obviously you just lost 14 in a row or 13 14 in a row and so you've known you had to win to keep your job and you haven't so we'll see but I I think it will our, our scores were pretty close um the only reason I had a little higher is just because the Bears defense has scared me a, a little bit in this last couple weeks um I do think it would be a later you know a, a last second kind of end of the game, Minshew, scramble, throw something, touchdown to get him to 23 even, but we'll see. Yeah, anyway, so uh, plug your Twitter handle for us one more time so our listeners can start following you. you Go ahead and plug your Twitter handle one more time because I know that you're a Jags, well, you're a Bears fan covering the Jags. Yes, very much. Um, Okay, it's Tay Doll, which is T-A-Y-D-O-L-L, and then it's 1010, the number is 1010XL, Tay Doll 1010XL. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. I know that when, you know, we are in the off season, we'll have to have you on again sometime. And hopefully next time AJ and Sam can join because we have like all sorts of bears fans on, but thanks again for being on here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Anyways, guys, thanks for tuning into this episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Kosho. You can follow Sam and AJ on Twitter at AJ Decipher and at SJ Steve nine. Sam was having Nailed taco. It. 
Yeah, that's two for two on this episode. Sam was having Taco Bell last week with Giant the Grilled Cheese Burrito. It wasn't bad, dude. It wasn't bad. It was I solid. Try it out. I need to go try it out. Yeah, it was did. delicious. You want to know the honest to God truth? Get the freaking burrito, dude, and then park your car in any parking lot and enjoy the fresh warm burrito <laughs> right on there. the spot today, bro. Yeah. It's the best thing ever. But yeah, guys, thanks for tuning in. You know, thanks for the support. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at barely underscore pod. We're going to be back next week after the Bears blow out the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars because the Jacksonville mayor literally released a statement saying the Jets gave them an early Christmas gift. And they're getting Trevor Lawrence now. So they're partying like it's 2021 where they're going to be getting Trevor in Jacksonville. But uh, peace out, guys. We'll see y'all later. Bear down. Bear down, guys.